I was encouraged tonight. I come in the building and all of the uh, Bible reading plans were taken. And I printed off 50 this morning. And so we got 20 more back there on the table. And let's do it as a church family. Amen. We all know from this morning that time is running out. And before we know it, it'll be, be 2024, a year from now. We'll be going into 2025. So think of it, if you do it this year, you might as well do it because this year, if you're alive, if you live through it. Um, it's going to get here no matter what anyway. And so this year, let's, let's redeem the time, as the Bible says, because we know the days are evil. That word there in that passage of Ephesians, it means to buy back what you've lost. And the world takes a lot of our time, doesn't it? So let's redeem the time, let's get back what the world has taken from us, and let's take a little bit of time each day, and by this time next year, Lord willing, all of us can say that I read through my Bible in a year. And maybe it'll be the first time you've ever done it. You've read through your Bible in a year. That's going to take some effort, because I'll admit, some of those passages through Leviticus, that's a tough plow. Some of them passages, some of that reading through the book of Ezekiel, I know it, it's a, it's a tough plow. I know it is. But you just think about Jesus carrying that cross up Mount Calvary. You can do it. Consider him, amen? God wrote it in there for, our, for, our, for us, our benefit, and you'll be blessed if you do it. You'll be glad you did it. You'll be proud that you did it. Do it for Jesus. Make it an act of devotion, an act of worship. This is a way to worship God, and every day you can do it. Matthew chapter number 22 tonight. Matthew 22, let's begin at verse number 36. Matthew 22, verse number 36. Of course, the Lord's Supper. We're going to, here in a moment, partake of that. It's a wonderful time. Let's do it in faith. Let's do it in faith because Jesus said to do it. That's obeying his word. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. He said, do this in remembrance of me. So tonight, we're going to do it in faith. Also, it's a reminder. Jesus said, I'm not going to drink of this vine until the kingdom of God come. And so it's a reminder, not only of Jesus' death, do this in remembrance of me. You got saved because Jesus sacrificed himself for your sins. And so it is a remembrance of that, first and foremost. But it's also a reminder that it's a reminder of hope that we're going to see Jesus again one day. Amen? We're going to see the Lord Jesus again one day. We're going to see him with our own eyes. And we're, going to, we're going to have a, a dinner with him, and he's going to be at the table with us. Our Lord will be there with us, and the saints will gather together. It's a reminder that he's coming back again. He's going to keep his word. Amen? And somebody who suffered so much for us He'll keep his word. And not only that, think about all those loved ones who are going to be gathered around that table with us. And what a day that'll be, amen? We should live in hope and joy. We should believe what Scripture says. We can believe it, amen? So know the Scriptures, read the Bible, and you'll have hope and joy. So this will even become more meaningful to our lives. Okay, Matthew chapter 22. God's laid it on my heart to think about... What Jesus has done for us, it's a reminder, obviously, of what he's done. But we need to love him, don't we? We need to love him for who he is, and we need to love him for what he's done. And the Bible even teaches us, in, is it the fourth chapter of 1 John, that we love him because he first loved us. And God is love, isn't he? And we love him because he first loved us. And so let's love him more. 
And this year, this coming year, this is our last few hours of 2024. We're gathered together at a good place, aren't we? We need to love him more, I believe. I, I'm afraid, and I used to be afraid of this word because it, I used to think the word religion, I was always afraid of it because I always associated that with some works-based system. and That a religion is a way that you work your way into heaven. But I think... And I always would say that we need a relationship with Jesus. That's through faith. Religion has never saved anybody. Faith saves, for by grace he is saved through faith. But we desperately need in our lives, I also think, some more religion. Now hear me out for a moment. I think we need to be more devoted this year. I think we need to be more religious in our activities about Bible reading, more religious in prayer more religious in coming to church. It needs to be, I think, being religious. We desperately need a revival of just religion in our country. Just, just simple God-fearing. And the, just, I was born in the 80s, and in my time, my generation, my, how far we've fallen, haven't we? It used to be even, even people who weren't Christians feared God. Even people who weren't Christians had a respect for God's house. I remember people would have a more devoted sense of sacredness to even this place where we worship. Have a sense of religion. And we need that in our lives. I'm not talking about works. I'm not talking about working to gain God's favor. But we need to have a heart devoted to God. A heart devoted to His church. A heart devoted to His Word where things are, th sacred things need to become sacred again. Things need to become more, more, more righteous in our view of them. We need to have a sense of awe of God. I remember, I, I grew up, many of you did, in a generation that you, when you came to church, I felt like sometimes that I was going, maybe, look, it, it doesn't compare at all, probably, but I remember like Sunday was a sacred day. Sunday, when we went to church, I mean, we had to act a certain way, we had to dress a certain way, we had to behave a certain way, we had to, we had to, we had to have a certain tone, we couldn't, as children, we couldn't raise our voices, we, and I'm not saying that because it's rules, I'm saying that, 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 the reason why I believe it was like that, is because there was in those generations a greater sense of sacredness. I know this is just a building, but for what we do here is a sacred thing. We are worshiping a sacred God. And you know, our forefathers, and while it was one of them, when they laid the cornerstone of this building, I, they had a dedication service that this place was dedicated to worshiping and praising God. That the, the west side, the property, they made it sacred. They, they dedicated it. They sanctified it. They set it apart that this place and this building and on what happens on this day is a set-apart sacred day, unlike all the other places, unlike, unlike any other day. And I think it would do America good to not become religious in a sense of duty to earn God's favor, but to have a sense of sacredness and awe of God. So this year, I want to encourage you that we would become, have a revival of religion in our lives. A revival of 
viewing God and what we do here on Sundays and when we pray an act of sacred worship to God. I remember praying that, and I mentioned it, and I think, I think God, I'm going to share this with you before I get started. you got time. You're going to stay up late anyway, aren't you? I think God's been dealing with me about that. God can deal with me and deal with you, can't he? I remember when, uh, and I, and I, it, God's, I think, has been getting it out of me. Like when I've been saying, like, hey, I want to encourage our children that when we pray, we all should pray. That, that when we get our Bibles out, we all should get our Bibles out. Because how, how else are they going to learn, have a, an example of, of, of sacredness and awe of God? I, many of you are like this. I grew up, in the, I grew up under a mother like when, when, it was, when we prayed. I mean, if my mother caught me not praying, <laughs> I'd get the finger snap. If, I get, if, I didn't, if the finger snap didn't work, I might get the neck snapped. <laughs> what, what was she doing? We have to think about these things. She wasn't trying to beat God into me. She wasn't trying to, to force me to God. What is she doing? She is, she's telling me, hey, this little boy is greater than your behavior. This is greater than you. We are praying in the presence of God and how dare you? That's what she's telling me. How dare I not in, at least bow my head in reverence to what is happening in this moment. Someone is praying to God. We need a revival, I believe, in our church and in America, obviously, of the sacredness of worship and observing and in awe of God. To love God. That God is bigger than you. That God's day is more important than your day. And worship is, is necessary to your joy, to your benefit, to your health, to your spirit. When, when, the, when it's preaching time, and I'm not, try, I'm not at all trying to be legalistic, but it's because children need to hear the Word of God. They need to hear God speak to them. Now, I know kids are going to be kids, absolutely, but help me convey to our little ones and our young people, hey, listen, God might have something for you today. God might speak to you today. God could deal with your heart today. And don't think that God can't deal with a 12-year-old or a 9-year-old or a 6-year-old. He absolutely can. Some of you all were saved when you were not yet 10 years old. And what that, that means that you, you came to a place that was dedicated to the sacredness and the devotion of a God that is bigger than the desires and wills of a six-year-old. And somebody was guiding you and leading you and teaching you the sacredness of God. And I believe this passage deals with that subject. The Bible says in Matthew chapter number 22... Verse 36, the, a Pharisee came to Jesus and said, Master, which is the greatest commandment of the law? And Jesus, in verse 37, Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God. And that would be good, wouldn't it? But Jesus is quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 and 5 here. 
And Jesus is saying, in other words, haven't you read? Is it not written? You'll find your answer in the Bible. Here's the greatest commandment. Jesus said, verse 37, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and this is the first and the great commandment. And it's not a suggestion either. We always think, well, well, yeah, I need to love the Lord. God commands you to love Him. It's a command. I even double-checked like Jesus needs to be double-checked. But I even checked in Deuteronomy chapter 6, and it absolutely says that. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God. It is a command. And we often, I've always saw it as a suggestion. Like it's a divine suggestion. But it's not a divine suggestion. It is a command. God says, you, I'm commanding you to love me. So if you love anything more than me, you are breaking a commandment of God. And Jesus said, this is the first and the great, greatest of all commandments. So if you think about the Ten Commandments, the first four definitely hang upon this subject. That you won't use his name in vain because you love him more than your words. You won't, use his, you won't, you won't break the Sabbath day because you love him more than that day. You won't have no other gods before him. You'll not blaspheme his name because he is more important than you. Thou shalt. It's a shout. And so rewind back to the beginning of the sermon that was completely unplanned and let of God praise his name. That God is commanding us to be devoted to him. God is commanding you. He's saying you shall do this. You, he's command, it's not a suggestion. He is saying, I, and it's a command that I, you, are to love me more than anything else in your life. Now you think, well, that seems kind of conceited of God, doesn't it? It seems kind of, if, from our point of view, it seems kind of God is commanding me to love him. Is that what? Yes. And it makes perfect sense because if you loved anything more than God, then your love has fallen far short. That God who is perfect and merciful and just and holy and righteous and good, and God is good and all the time God is... And He's good and He's good all the time, isn't He? And so... God is, saying, God is saying to you, you shouldn't love something lesser than me. It's not conceited at all. God is saying you should love the one who loves you more than anything else. You should love the one who is better than anyone else. You should love the one who is good. If you love anything or anybody more than God, then your love is coming short. God says you love me. Now it's a command. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God. And that you would think, well, okay, okay, God, I, I get it. But no, then it's been even break, it even breaks down into the essence of who we are. Jesus, and he's quoting Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5, for your reference, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. All of your heart. So it's, it's not just love God. Then God says, and Jesus is reiterating it, and which is really awesome because Jesus is God, by the way. And Jesus could have said this and he'd have been correct. You know, like I said back in Deuteronomy chapter number 6, I'm saying it again. And that also, it also gives testimony to he is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And what Jesus, what the Lord said in Deuteronomy 6, he says it again in Matthew 22. 
How am I to love God? With all thy heart. Now, and then Jesus says, with all thy soul and with all thy mind. So let's, let's, just, let's look at these three descriptions. How am I, how are you to love God? With all of your heart. Now the word heart, in the, in the Hebrew of Deuteronomy 6 verse 5, it's a Hebrew word, it means it's labab. It's a B-A-W-B, I believe. If I'm pronouncing it wrong, then you'll forgive me. But labab in Hebrew, it, it, that heart, it means the most interior organ. That's what it means. That the heart is the most interior organ. Now, a lot of times, it's the Bible, heart and mind is interchangeable. But this time, there's a distinction. Your, God says, I want you to love me from your most interior organ. That's what God is saying. So, so thus it must mean that love for God should derive from the center of who you are. That your love for God should come from the core of who you are. It should be the, the center of your universe. Now, it's a problem today because it's contrary to modern religion. And modern religion is humanism. And the God of modern religion is self. And the practice of worshiping self is... Is, uh, is, is you becoming the center of your own little world, which is complete contrary to loving God. And oftentimes we get into trouble when we love self instead of God. We do what I want to instead of what God wants me to do. I'm more devoted to my desires instead of God's desires. I'm more devoted to my comfort than God's commands. And that, what does that mean? The symptoms is, is that you've made yourself a little God. But God says, I want you to love me from the innermost being of who you are. That from the very center of you is God and everything that flows out of you, everything is from a position of your love and your devotion to God. So heart here is, is that you should love God with all your devotions, with all of your loyalty, with all that you are to the point of your innermost organ. That if they cut you open, they'd find your love for God. It's not a superficial love. It's not, it's not just a, it's not a love that practices things. It's a love, it is who you are. I think I said this last Sunday morning, that it, Christ shouldn't be a part of your life. Christ should be your life. He should be who you are. To live is Christ, Paul said. And to die is gain. To be with Christ is far better, but to live is Christ. His life is Christ. So thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all of your heart. And then Jesus says, with all of your soul. And soul here is, is your emotions and your feelings and your passions and your desires and your will. That's your soul. And it's interesting that God includes the word soul because you can be, you can love your wife with your heart. That means you're devoted to her. But you could also be, be not very happy about it. You know that's true? People are devoted to their spouse, but they're not really happy with their spouse. They're just devoted to them. They're just loyal to them. You know, God has God's plan for your marriage isn't that you're just loyal to your spouse, but he wants you to be thrilled with your spouse. He wants you to get emotional about your spouse. See, if God says, I want you to love you, I want you to love me with your heart, that would just imply, I want you to be loyal to me. 
But God includes the word soul, and that's your passions, your emotions, your intellect, your will, your desires, your personality. Think of it that way. So you could love, you could be devoted to your spouse and not be in love with your spouse, right? So we think of love in the modern sense as feelings and emotions, and that's what the word soul is conveying. God says, I want you to love me with your heart, your inmost being, but I also want you to love me with your soul. I want, I want you to be in love with me. I want your desires to love me. I want your will to love me. I, I, want, I want your passions to love me. God is commanding you to be passionate with him. God is saying, I want you to have a warm feeling of me. I want you to be passionate with me. I want you to long for my presence I want you to desire fellowship with me. I want you to be jealous over me. I want, you to be, I want you to be enraged when something comes between me and you. You see the difference between heart, which is loyalty, versus and, and you put soul there. God is saying, I want you to be thrilled and amazed and to be, to be enamored by me. There's a lot of people who are loyal to God, but they're not emotionally in love with God. God is just a, uh, he's a necessary, he's like a dictionary on their bookshelf. It's not the funnest book, but it's needed. There's other things that are more entertaining. God says, I want you to love me with your soul, with your will, with your emotions, with your joy, with your passions, with your desires. God wants you to be in love with him. The honeymoon type of love, not the 10 years after marriage love. passion of who you are. God wants you to love Him like that. Think about your life. Is that the way you love God? Do you love God like that? Many of us can say that we love Him with our heart. That's the idea of devotion and loyalty. But do we love God with our soul? You know the expression, that's my soulmate. Is God your soulmate? Can you live a day without speaking to God? Do you, do, you, is your, do you sing to God? Do you worship God? You know when somebody's in love, you think about somebody smitten. Are you smitten by God? Are you, are you, you know, you, you remember the days you would stay up on the phone and talk to the middle of the night to your, to your girlfriend or boyfriend? Are you smitten by God? And it, honestly, it, if he is all-powerful, and He is, and He's all-loving, and He is, and He's all-faithful, and He is, and he's, 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 His wisdom and His glory should, should satisfy our intellectual curiosity to the point where we never get bored by God, then why aren't we in love with God like that, smitten by God? And He offered His Son freely to us, and He died for our sins, and His promises everlasting life, and He says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you, and I'm going to resurrect your dead loved ones in me, and when you die in Christ, you're going to be resurrected. And think about the glory of all of that. That God loves you. You know, He loves you like that. I really didn't plan on this being a four-length sermon, but when I get up here, things happen, Okay? God loves you like that. God is, loves you with all of his heart. He's supremely devote, devoted to you. He's devoted to you. The book of Hosea, you know what God is trying to describe? That 
You know Hosea's bride? She's not a very faithful wife, is she? God told Hosea, I want you to go marry a prostitute. This is going to be, this is going to symbolize my marriage to Israel. I want you to marry a prostitute. So Hosea, he marries a prostitute knowing that she's going to be unfaithful. And when she is unfaithful, and she was, and she's back out on the streets, and she's being trafficked, she's being trafficked now, and God says, Hosea, I want you to now go back to her, and I want you to buy her back, because she's being trafficked for money. The one who cheated on you, the one who was unfaithful to you, the one who broke your heart, Hosea, you even fathered two children by her. I want you to go, and she freely chose to leave you. I want you to go when she's getting trafficked, and I want you to buy her back with your own money. And wouldn't you agree she ain't worth a dime? Wouldn't you agree that she's not worth any money? And Hosea goes and buys his wife back. And then God said, and this is how I love you, Israel. You have cheated on me. You have been unfaithful to me. You have turned your back on me. You have been adulterous to me. You have cheated on me. You have, you have forsaken me. But thank God who is devoted to us and he loves us. How many times has he come back to me and you? How many times has he showed back up in our lives when we were getting trafficked by the world? And the purchase to get you back was the blood of his dear son, and his broken body. And he buys us back and forgives us our sins. God loves you. Let us love him back. God is devoted to you. You be devoted to him. God, this coming year, will be 100% devoted to you. You know, that relationship seems backwards, don't it? He's the one who's good, and we're, we're the ones who are unfaithful. Seems like he would be the one who's done with us. But in our end, he's the one who is good, and we are the ones who are bad, and we are the ones who are often done with him. He is good. Love him with all of your soul. Be in love with him. Lastly, number three. Jesus commands, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all of your heart. That's labob, the most interior organ of your body. From the center of who you are, you are devoted and loyal love to God. But then God isn't, it's not just, it's not just duty. It's not just responsibility to love God. No, God says, I want your soul to love me. I want you to get emotional about me. I want you to have feelings about me. I want you to have passions about me. I want you to have desires. I want your will to be controlled by your love for me. That's your, that's your soul. Before we get to the third one, you still with me? It's going to be a long night anyway. I'd rather be here, wouldn't you? I remember Jason told me once, I think it was somebody in his family or a friend, and I, listen, full disclaimer, I like UT football too, okay? But he told me that the greatest glaring testimony of this person's life was that everybody talked about how much he loved UT football. 
And there's some people, their whole identity is they loved going fishing. They loved going hunting. They loved doing this. And that's the ladies, you got, I don't really know what you love that much, so I, I'm picking on the men. I would say things, but it could be misunderstood, like I know, but I won't. Whatever it is, what we love becomes our identity. That's how people see us. Don't you want it to be said when you die that they loved God more than anything or anyone? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and lastly, with all thy mind. Mind. It means logic and reason and understanding. It's the intelligent side, the argument of God. That you, you love the logic of God. You love the reason of God. You love the intelligence, not only of God, but the intelligence of understanding God. That you love God with your mind. And this is where a lot of us leave it out. And sometimes I think to the church's detriment, people glory in their ignorance. And they say, I'm just an old country boy and you know I don't know anything. Then stop being that way and learn about God. Learn about Him. And I'm not buying it either. I know some of them old country boys, they can rebuild a 350 small block Chevy in a day. And don't tell me they're not smart. I know some country boys that understand hemlock trees and how hickory is this and it sparks in the fireplace and uh, white oak's good about making baskets, etc., etc. and use this for that and don't fish with this and don't hunt that way into the wind. I don't want to hear it. We can learn about things that we're interested in. God says, I want you to love me with your mind. I want you to understand me. I want you to think about me. I want you to learn about me. I want you to be a intellectually about me. I want you to try to understand why Jesus arose bodily. I want you to understand the Lord's Supper. I want you to understand this and that. God says, I want you to love me intellectually. I want you to be amazed by me with your imagination. I want you to be interested in me like you're interested in the cover two defense that football teams play. Whatever it is that you like, I want you to learn about me and be amazed. Love me with your mind. We think that the intellect is off limits to spirituality, that they can't coexist together. We think that our mind, that we can't think. We're so afraid of thinking that we become unspiritual. We, 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 don't, we want to avoid thinking and thought and reason and logic because we want to be spiritual. Listen to me. God has given you a mind. I think the only reason you can read is so you can read His Bible. And God wrote, him, him, wrote of Himself in a book. And God wants you to use your mind. God wants you to think. You should think about God. You should learn about God. And don't ever think, well, God can only be understood by some spiritual experience. Hey, listen, God is a spirit, and those that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. But God is also a God of reason and logic, and God can be learned about. Love me with your mind, God says. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with 
all your heart, soul, and mind. This coming year, let's love God. Let's devote ourselves to God. And if you're not loving God with your soul, that means your emotions, your passions, your feelings. Wouldn't this be appropriate if I said this in a lot of this sermon? You need to fall back in love with God. One way to do that quickly is break up with all your girlfriends or boyfriends that are taking you away from God. And I'm not talking about human beings. Maybe it is, but you need to have a breakup with the world. You need to get excited about God emotionally. We're afraid of that too as Baptists sometimes, aren't we? We get emotional about, emotional about catching a fish, emotional about a Christmas present. But when the things of the Lord is I've noticed that what stirs my emotions is often what I value most. Have you noticed that? Sometimes I, my kids don't know it. Sometimes I see them walking, not when they're fighting, but when it's good and they're walking down the yard together. I'm just, I get emotional thinking about them. Sometimes I get emotional when they're fighting. <laughs> Sometimes. Whatever stirs your emotions seems whatever you love the most. We're so afraid of becoming emotional people, but we're emotional about everything else. Some of y'all have cried over a soap opera. It's not even real. Cried over a movie. It's not even, people aren't even real. <laughs> Be so moved by something that don't amount to anything. But God, loving Him with your soul. Your mind, it's time to learn of God. Learn about Him. Think about Him. Love Him. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. God, I believe you spoke to us tonight. Lord, when we gather together in faith, God, you speak to your people. Lord, we worship you and we praise you. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness, your love, your mercy, your justice, your judgment, your wrath. Lord, your righteousness. God, I pray you'll help us to love you. To love you with all of our heart center of who we are, to be loyal and to have duty and responsibility towards you. Lord, I'm so glad you encourage us to love you with our soul. Not only do we have a responsibility and a duty to love you, but God, you are a God who can stir our emotions. Lord, who can, Lord, make us passionate and have feelings and joy. God, I pray we'll emotionally love you in our soul. God, I pray we'll learn about you. We'll be interested in you. We'll seek this year to understand you, to love you with our mind, to no longer hide behind ignorance, but God, to grow and to learn. We know a lot about a lot of things. Lord, I'm praying before people, I don't know how to make meatloaf. Lord, they know how to make meatloaf. I don't know how to do it. Lord, there's so much intelligence in the room. Lord, some of the ladies here can probably, or the men, can make cornbread without measuring anything. Lord, I'd have to have a room full of measuring cups. Lord, there's so much intelligence here. God, I pray the devil's tricked us for too long. Help us to learn about you, to love you with our minds. 
God, I pray we'll love you this year. We'll have a sense of duty, of sacredness. Lord, a, a heart to the divine. And God, stir our hearts, our minds, and our souls so we can love you. Lord, now as we gather around this table tonight, God, I pray you'll help us to reflect and remember about your love for us and sit together in joy, knowing, Lord, that one day we'll be with you and our people again. In your name, Jesus Christ, we ask these things. Amen. This time we'll have.